It's time to pull up a chair and open your Bible for today's Bible study segment of Naomi's Table. Now, here's our teacher, Ruth Christian. Good afternoon, ladies. Well, last time in our lesson, John laid out the witness of God, God's testimony that he has given us his son. Now, there were those who went out from them because they weren't really of them. We heard that earlier in his letter and were deceiving some into believing lies about Jesus Christ. They were now in danger of having their faith shipwrecked, the ones that were listening, uh, by believing the witness of men over the witness of God. That's what we're going to have in these verses. So the witness of God had been given to them through the inspired words of the apostles like John. And of course, now we have those inspired words in the New Testament. So let's let's get into the verses for today. First, um, verse 9 and 10. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. John contrasts here the witness of men to the witness of God. We believe men sometimes, but won't believe God, and therefore we make him a liar. When we do believe in the Son of God, we have the witness in ourselves, the witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Romans 8.16 again puts it like this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The key word in 1 John 5.6-10 is witness, sometimes translated record or testify. God gave witness of, record of, testified to his son, Jesus Christ. But he has also given witness to his children, true believers we're talking about. Fruit of the witness in us is that we know that we have eternal life. Not only is there the witness of the Spirit within, but there's the witness that comes to us through the word of God. These things, he says, I think it's verse 10. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, some of John's little children were beginning to be deceived by the false teachers of the day, the Gnostics, accepting the witness of men over the witness of God. Since many had not personally seen, heard, touched Jesus, they were buying into the lie that Jesus was a phantom, had no real body. They would not believe the testimony of God through John, and for some, it would be, it would, it would not, um, they were not receiving the testimony of God even for their salvation. So, in these verses, John exposes the great sin of unbelief. Most everyone who refuses to believe God, in the full sense of the word believe, doesn't intend to call God a liar, but they do it nonetheless. Spurgeon says this, The great sin of not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is often spoken of very lightly and in a very trifling spirit, as though it were scarcely any sin at all. Yet according to my text, and he's speaking of the verse for today, that we're studying. 
And indeed, according to the whole tenor of the scriptures, he says, unbelief is the giving of, of God the lie and what can be worse. In other words, he's, it's saying that unbelief is saying that God is lying. He's, he kind of speaks in that old English thing that's hard to understand at times. But anyway, point being, what if one says, well, I want to believe, but I can't. Spurgeon answers a person this way. Hearken, O unbeliever, you've said, I cannot believe, but it would be more honest if you had said, I will not believe. The mischief lies there. Your unbelief is your fault, not your misfortune. It is a disease, but it is also a crime. It is a terrible source of misery to you, but it is justly so, for it is an atrocious offense against the God of truth, unquote. So such rejection of God's testimony over time can lead to a place where a person is permanently hardened against God, to the place where they may be one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, as Jesus warned in Mark 3, verses 28 and 29. What hope can there be for the one who persists in hearing what God says and call him a liar? So, what was the testimony they were not believing? Verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This is God's essential message to man, that eternal life is a gift from God. It's not something we earn. John 10, 27 through 29 and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 will show us that. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's all about Jesus. We receive eternal life not only from Christ, but in Christ. Verse 12 shows us it's not just life, but the life that we receive and that we are in when we are born again. These things I have written to you who believe, he says, um, that you may know that you have eternal life. Here he's stating the message so plainly. John hopes to persuade us to believe. Even if we already believe, he wants us to know that you have eternal life so that we have this assurance and so that you may continue to believe. You know, don't get disturbed by the false teachers of the day. The need to hear the simple gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ does not end once one embraces the gospel. We benefit by it, are assured by it, and are helped to continue in it as we hear it and embrace it over and over again. God wants his children to know that they belong to him. John was inspired by the Spirit to write his gospel to assure us that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. That's in, in John 20, verse 31. But he wrote this epistle so that we may be sure that we are the children of God, verse 13 of this chapter. 
John's confidence is impressive. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. We can only know this if our salvation rests in Jesus and not in our own performance. If it depends on me, (laughs) then on a, a good day, I'm saved, but on a bad day, I don't really know. But if it depends on what Jesus has done for me, then I can know. In closing today, I must ask this question. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven? And how do you know? If you have that assurance, could you explain how you know that biblically to someone else? When people are asked these questions, you get varied responses. You know, how do you know you're going to heaven? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard many of them. Perhaps one of these represents your heart now. Or perhaps it used to represent your heart. I know I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person and I've lived by the golden rule. I've been baptized. I'm a member of the church. I walked the aisle and I gave my life to Jesus. I've been a Christian ever since I was born. God is a God of love and he wouldn't send anyone to hell. I've invited Jesus Christ into my life. I've believed on him, therefore I'm saved. I've prayed a prayer and asked Christ to come and live inside of me, and I believe he did. Let's suppose you answered in one of the above ways. Basically, all those answers are connected to the past, either something you believed or something you did. So let me ask another question. What present evidence is in your life that shows you and others that you really are a child of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart for present evidence that you belong to God. Romans 8, 16, and 17. Something to think on. Until next time, stay close to Jesus and keep looking up.